Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. I'm Jim Friend. Welcome back, everybody. Glad you could join us. Today, we're going to talk about cryptocurrency, which is an evolving topic that has more and more relevance to our world and our church. Today, I'm joined by Matthew Pinto, who is the host and founder of the new Catholic Crypto Conference, which will be held on November the 17th and 18th at the Valley Ford Sheraton in Pennsylvania. If you're new to cryptocurrency, then this is the right episode for you because Matt will explain to us how crypto is used in the business sense, a little bit about Web3, the blockchain, and what relevance this all has to our church. I hope that you'll join us for the new conference. I'm registered and I'll be helping to introduce a few of the speakers over the two days. I'll leave links in our show notes to Matt and the Catholic Crypto Conference, but let's not waste any more time. Let's get to work. Today, I'm pleased to welcome Matt Pinto. Matt is a pioneer in Catholic marketing and ministry development. He has been at the forefront of multiple Catholic initiatives since the early 1990s. In 1998, he founded Ascension Press, and he led the Catholic media outlet and publisher to global prominence until just this year. Matt Pinto is also the founder of Spark Catholic Communications, and he has co-founded several organizations, including the Theology of the Body Institute, Envoy Magazine, The Maximus Group, and CatholicExchange.com. Matt has authored or co-authored more than a dozen books and educational resources. He also conceptualized and wrote A Guide to the Passion, 100 Questions About the Passion of the Christ, which was a New York Times religious bestseller with sales exceeding a million copies. Matt is a founding member of the Catholic Marketing Network, a recipient of the Outstanding Catholic Leadership Award from the Catholic Leadership Institute, and he has served on multiple boards. Matt and his wife, Marianne, have been married for 28 years and are the proud parents of six children. And so, without further ado, here is Matt Pinto. Tell us a little bit about how did you find your way going down the crypto and the Bitcoin rabbit hole? What what led you to kind of learn more about cryptocurrency? Sure. Uh, Jim, I was, uh, thank you for allowing me to be here, by the way. Uh, I was at a Legatus dinner party maybe four years or so ago, five years or so ago, and I sat next to a gentleman. And uh, Bitcoin was in my mind for some reason, some news event. And I had asked this person, I said, yeah, have you ever heard about Bitcoin? And, you know, his eyes lit up and because- yeah. He, he had already gone down that rabbit hole. And, and so he described, you know, really how potentially unique it is. And, and then within a week or two, I, I had my secretary assistant make a modest purchase for me because I, I was not necessarily tech inclined and it was just easier to have my assistant do that for me. And then I promptly forgot about it for the next four years. I knew it was there, but I didn't give it much attention. And then after the, uh, I stepped down from leadership and ownership of Ascension Press in early 2021. Bitcoin came back into my mind. Crypto came back into my mind. Tempted. I'm tempted. And I don't look for the Holy Spirit in every corner, but I'm tempted to think that it was an inspiration. I I don't recall the context. And and it does resonate with me that it might have been an inspiration, a prompting of, of the Spirit. Again, who knows? So, Jim, that began about a year and a half ago, a very, very deep dive into all things crypto, all things blockchain, all things uh, Web3, and you know, even a little bit of the metaverse. And I'll, I'll just close by saying that as one who loves the church, 
and one who saw that we really might be looking at a serious technological sea change, my first instinct is always to, is how can this help the church? I love the church. I love the Lord. And uh, really any, any leverage uh, that the church can have in the culture for the greater good, uh, I'm interested in. So that's really uh, how it all came together. I like tens of millions of people, my mind has been a bit blown away at, at what is being proposed with some of these new technologies. And, mm-hmm. and if I were a betting man, I would say, yes, we're in the midst of a, of a technological sea change right now. I've been studying it myself. Uh, we did a show back in May with Natalie, Natalie Brunel on just kind of a, an intro to what Bitcoin is. And what's so interesting to me is just the the scarcity of it, how Bitcoin is, I believe, I believe separate from other cryptocurrencies in the market today. Would, would you, how would you, how would you describe yourself in, in your belief specifically in, in Bitcoin? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be a maxi. Right. A maxi is... Uh, someone in the Bitcoin community who really just thinks only Bitcoin and nothing else. Right. But I am substantially in the direction of Bitcoin. I do think that other projects and other use cases, I mean, again, the whole metaverse, I think it's going to be here. I think Web3 is already here. Smart contracts already exist. Mm -hmm. Blockchain is being used for business to business solutions. So these are use cases and and they have utility and they have tokens associated with them. So there is value and like real value. So I'm there. But as you said, Bitcoin is like a different different conversation. It's different in kind. In other words, you have cryptocurrency with all the various tokens. And then you can use that word cryptocurrency to describe Bitcoin. But Bitcoin is different in, in its properties that you alluded to. In other words, the finite supply. The, the radically distributed network and decentralized network. For example, on Ethereum, technically you could knock on the door of Ethereum and with enough pressure, you could have them change their protocol. They could inflate the coin if they so right. desire. But Bitcoin, Bitcoin was code that was written into the world. It was released into the world, kind of like me sneezing out a moving car window. <laughs> uh, you're not getting that sneeze back and you're not getting that Bitcoin code back. Right. Uh, it's in the world and now it just has become a thing and it, and it holds itself up. So Bitcoin is different. I am mostly bullish that I think the concept is going to be a correct one, that like, like, a, like a vacuum or like a magnetic pole, the world, even unconsciously, will move in the direction of the hardest money, the money that is hardest to get. Gold is hard to get and Bitcoin is hard to get. Printing fiat money, the money that we have in our wallets, is mm-hmm. not hard to get. The Federal Reserve can just print that more or less right. at will. So I think it's only a matter of time with this magnetic pole continues to go in its direction. Is it guaranteed? No. Is it intriguing? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. And you know, well said. I think also for our listeners who are maybe new to Bitcoin or new to cryptocurrency, first, we're going to talk about your conference in just a couple of minutes here. But it's also important to understand the the significance of Bitcoin, would you agree, to understand just kind of where we're at in, in our history of currency, in our history of the economy, you alluded to fiat and, and money printing. I think that is the piece that really, for me, turned the corner to understand how our currency has been devalued and where we're at in our current monetary system. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I would uh, agree and, and see why you came to those deductions. You know, Jim, you and I are going to live this day in October, normally, like we live every day. And right. millions of people are going to live their day and they're going to look at their wallet and their wallet's going to have fiat cash money in it. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, everyone will feel all is well. Yep. But when you take a step back and look at the big picture, you, you learn that the dollar that we're holding in our hands has lost, I believe, something like 98% of its value from right. 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. So what, what cost two cents you know, 100 years ago now costs a dollar. And next year, the dollar that you're holding in your hand is probably only going to buy 95 or 94 or 93 you know, cents uh, of value. So the money is dissipating, but because it happens slowly, we all kind of miss it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the recent months with radical inflation, We've all seen meat prices go up. So everyone is kind of a little bit shocked right now with gas prices and meat prices. But that has been a slow fog drifting over for a long time in the devaluing, but most people don't see it happening. And so uh, what what I believe you were getting at is in a culture of devaluing currency, the harder the money is, i.e. gold or i.e. Bitcoin Mm -hmm. and other assets, certain commodities and tangible assets, they decrease at, at a slower rate typically. And so that's really one of the attractions to Bitcoin. But Bitcoin has other characteristics that are pretty amazing besides the 21 million finite supply. You know, Jim, if you send a check to Japan to buy something, it's going to take 10 days to two weeks for that check to clear. Whereas mm-hmm. in a peer-to-peer network like Bitcoin, Something can clear in a matter of seconds and at a fraction, a fraction of the cost. I thought I heard uh, Michael Saylor say or imply that he sent a billion dollars around the world and it cost him 13 cents and was done instantly. There's no monetary system uh, alive that can compete with that. And so it's only a matter of time, I believe, before people come to know about this. And quite frankly, and here's my final point. You know, just like electricity, Jim, 150 or 130 years ago was, was a great invention, but it was unpredictable, it was unstable. And it took about 40 years for it to spread across the country and, and become commonplace. You know, all of us think that you invent electricity and within two years, everything is lit up. No, it took about 40 years and the, the grid was, was weak. Well, that's where we are to a certain extent with cryptocurrency as a whole, that it's new, it's going to be bumpy, but like electricity, it seems as if this is going to be very powerful. Absolutely. And I would even jump onto something that might even be a little bit more in our generation. We probably both remember the start of cable television and and maybe back in the day when when there were the evils of cable television or people thought about that anyway oh you know what's on cable i'm uh, you know now and we remember the the advent of the internet and and some of the dangers that that first appeared there the cryptocurrency i think is just like is any other new technology we can't embrace we have to embrace it with caution but we can't embrace it with fear just to kind of turn our conversation a little bit towards our faith would you say that in our catholic theology we tend to go towards new technologies or do or do we tend to shy away from them a little bit? Yeah, I would say we do. Maybe in the modern era, because we mass communication is so instant, we might be more impatient nowadays with the church. But the church, from all the theology, and I think I have solid theology and have read for many, many years, the church affirms the created world. These glasses that I have 
are at least morally neutral, if not a positive good. First off, the idea of glasses, when someone came up with the idea of glasses, I would contend that any idea is a little bit of a spark of the divine. God is a creative God. He allows us to be co-creators. And it's not just of human life. It's really any creation to me is a hint at the creator himself. So I think the church's starting point is that ingenuity, insight, ideas in and of themselves are good naturally. There are some things that are evil, you know, the creation of pornography that exploits women in particular, but men as well. That would be no good. But, but a good priest friend of mine who's, who's speaking at the conference, he said, but even something as broken as pornography, he said, for example, you could roll up that magazine and, and light it on fire and use it to start a fire. So in that one small sense, even that broken item has, has some potential redeeming value. So all things, with the exception of maybe a nuclear warhead, but even that in, in, a, in a totally extrapolated way, as long as you weren't indiscriminately killing persons, if you just wanted to drop a bomb to send a message mm-hmm. in an unpopulated area, well, maybe even that could have some redeeming value. So all technology is either morally neutral or good. The, the church would, would affirm it, even if sometimes it's behind the times, because such things can be used for great good. For example, someone conceived of the idea of putting the word of God on paper, mm-hmm. and that someone a few um, a thousand years later figured out a way to put it on a printing press. And then someone uh, figured out a way to broadcast it across radio and then the internet, what you and I are doing right now. So technology really can be a a great good. How do you see all of this relating to blockchain? I've heard experts talk about the fact that, you know, where we are in the history, and you've alluded to this earlier, the history of blockchain is similar to where we were at with the internet in in the late 90s, we'll say, when it was still very much kind of the Wild West. We were all dialing in through America Online and our phone lines. Maybe just for somebody who hasn't uh, really done the research that you and I have, maybe tell them a little bit about what is blockchain technology and a little bit about specifically what how, how we use cryptocurrency. So, so like you, I'm learning, but we're all learning fast. Sure. Uh, so... <laughs> Blockchain is really a public ledger, a ledger that that all can see into. That itself alone is game-changing. If you were to go to Wells Fargo Bank and say, I'd like to see the ledgers of of all your account holders, they would say no and show you the door. But but with blockchain, data is stored in in blocks. Blocks are, are spawned every few minutes or they're created through computing power. And those blocks contain data. And the data sort of becomes difficult to change. Mm-hmm. And so when you have a ledger that is difficult to change, that starts to become useful to uh, two entities. And so what the blockchain is are blocks of information that are kind of singed to the prior block of information, and then to the block that comes there after it. And those connectors need to confirm each other in, in, a, in, a, in a quantitative way. So they connect with each other. And what that gives us, Jim, is that gives us a chain of information that is grounded and locked down that can be used in a whole variety of ways that becomes very hard to undo. Therefore, things like ownership, like the title of your house, eventually it's got to go onto a blockchain. It's going to be much easier to retrieve. You don't have to spend days having having a title company 
do research as to who owned your house three, three owners ago, these things will become instantly available. They'll become immutable because uh, they'll be very difficult to change. And so there are a host of very smart people in the world. This is what happens when you put free enterprise with new technological development. People start looking at ways in which they can use it. And blockchain is really getting proposed for many, many use cases. It's going to be into the hundreds, if not thousands, one of which is the building of what is called a decentralized communication networks. Like right now, Twitter is a communication network. But if Jim Friend sends, says something on Twitter that is not uh, well-received, you can get deplatformed. Whereas a blockchain um, they're proposing allows for a distributed communication network that nobody owns because mm -hmm. everyone owns it. Mm -hmm. and, and therefore, it will prevent one from getting canceled. So what I tell people is with the power of YouTube that we have right now, you literally can just type into a, the YouTube search engine, what is blockchain? And you'll, you'll be shown beautiful visuals that in three minutes or five minutes or seven minutes begin to explain a little bit about what it is. But in short, it's, it's a ledger. It's a public ledger. It stores data. The data is connect to each other that form a chain. Because they connect with each other, it's very hard to go back and change data. So it makes it immutable. And anything that you can own, whether it's your house or a painting or just a piece of artwork or music or your own identity, you now can be the owner of that. It can be known by everyone that you're the owner of that. In this data harvesting world, this is a great way to protect against infringement on one's personal identity. But there are many other uses as well. Very well said, Matt. One of the things that I've come to understand just in my own study and research of blockchain and, and cryptocurrency is that so many of them right now are, are almost a little bit of a Ponzi scheme. There's you know thousands of different cryptocurrencies out there. And in, in my estimation, many of them are going to go to zero when it's all said and done. What do you think Catholics should be aware of when they begin to invest in cryptocurrency? I'm sure this is something you're going to explore a little bit in your conference. Yeah, yeah. And thank you for this question, because this needs to be shouted far and, and wide from the rooftops. Once someone begins to dabble in crypto and you start getting on email lists, you start getting tantalized by headlines about these cryptos are the hottest, and it's a danger zone. It's a danger zone. So here, here is my counsel to people. And this is not financial advice. Right. This is, this is personal advice that I think Bitcoin is the granddaddy. Many people believe Bitcoin is the granddaddy, but you can't look at it in the short term, like in a trading sense. It's like a store of value. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like putting a big certificate of deposit, you know, away for your children and your family in a very powerful, strong bank. Uh, it also happens to be kind of like that type of store of value that is probably going to substantially grow, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50x over a certificate of deposit. No guarantees there, but no financial instrument in the past 13 years can even come close to what Bitcoin has done. But we're in a down cycle. And as you know, uh, Jim, every four years, there's a down cycle and then it rises up again. And that's connected to the algorithm that was created. So I would tell people pretty much just think of the top two, three or four projects, Bitcoin, Ethereum, some of the other names that are popular out there, Cardano, Solana, but don't go beyond those very, very big market caps. And quite frankly, I would substantially weight one's existence in the direction of Bitcoin. I would do frequent uh, deposits, maybe on a regular dollar cost averaging basis, a modest amount, and then forget about it. 
literally forget about it for five years. Just don't even look at it. Just keep doing the the, the modest deposits. Now, again, this is not financial advice. I right. Many people would say, even conservative financial investors would say 2% of your portfolio, 5%. Some might say 10%. I tend to be, you know, be more bullish on it. Even Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank, you know, he's no fool. He, he has about 20% of his total worth in about 30 crypto projects, including yeah. Bitcoin and Ethereum. So he's no fool. And a lot of people really in this industry are not fools. That being said, be conservative. Avoid getting pulled into new coins. Only invest in projects, maybe besides Bitcoin and Ethereum, only invest in projects that you absolutely know deeply about them. You know the players, you know the use case, maybe even you know the owners, they've described it to you. Otherwise, I would issue a massive word of caution. No, I couldn't agree more. Very well said. Many people have lost a lot of money in, in these down cycles, as well as just on, on a hope and a prayer. But you, you give really good advice and really understanding who's behind the projects, the the use case. And, and you know, Kevin O'Leary has a lot, of, a lot more discretionary income than most folks. So he's invested in a wide variety, not financial advice, but my own strategy is just to invest in a very few and Bitcoin being the, the, the biggest portion of my little crypto investment pool. And like you say, put it away and, and don't look at it for five years. I mean, how often, maybe this, uh, this is a bad example in this particular market, but how often do you look at the value of your house? Just let it sit there and, and let it grow over time. I think that's good advice. If you don't mind before, uh, there, there's crypto investing yeah. means in the coins, but then there's the picks and shovels of mm. world. And those of you may may know the, the gold prospectors, the companies that did well were the companies that supplied the picks and shovels and Levi jeans and lunch, lunch meals and uh, to those who were prospectors. What I'm getting at is when we speak of crypto, when I speak of crypto and many millions of people speak of crypto, we're talking about a whole ecosystem of, again, the metaverse and Web3 and smart contracts and things like that. What I'm getting at is there are creations that exist, maybe applying these technologies to education or applying yeah. these technologies to real practical use cases versus being in the speculation business, like the stock market. For, for example, you, you may decide, someone may decide that they want to invest in the creation of real world solutions or even educational resources using these technologies. So people should not hear this interview and get tripped up or focus in that we're, that we're, we're only talking about investing in, in currencies. We're talking about a, a much bigger ecosystem. Good point. Just, just like there was a very large ecosystem that, that built around the internet and a whole host of companies that provided real practical services. So that's what I'm recommending people begin to look into. Besides the Bitcoin and Ethereum, you know, more conservative plays, they're, they're aggressive conservative, but look at other solutions that are out there and realize that this whole industry has a whole lot to offer besides crypto investing. We hear a lot about Web3. Can you, can you describe what that is for, for folks? Yes. And, it, and it's an absolute moving target. It, it's getting developed every day by people in the industry. For example, I'm hosting a speaker at the conference who runs a gaming company and he's immersed in Web3. And Web3 in a single line, Jim is ownership of the web is owned by the users. Okay. And uh, for example, if your children play Fortnite, well, they buy the skins and they have the characters, but they really don't own them. They really don't own them. 
in Web3, they do own everything. They own their own, they own their own data. They own their own assets. They own the network in a sense because it's decentralized. It's put on thousands of computers who don't know uh, where the other computers are. These are uploaded protocols. And so the system becomes a self-sustaining system by the network. And, and they do that through electrical power. And, uh, but it's the network. So the main word is decentralization, that it's decentralized. Ownership is owned by the individual users. Even the source code in creating the new Web3 applications, the industry, the Web3 world wants that source code to be open source. Mm-hmm. Why? Because then it further proves lack of ownership, but it dramatically improves rapid development. Uh, if code is out there, Jim, and you and your wife think of an idea and code already exists out there that's public domain code, you can just use that and develop your project much more quickly. It's really a blowing the doors off of the internet in terms of, of letting it be decentralized. And, and one of the contentions is that this is actually going to help the disenfranchised. Right now, the internet's original promise was a decentralization, that we would all become our own, in a sense, publishers. But the nature of the beast in a, in a capitalistic society is that the smartest, the fastest movies, the boldest, consolidate equity and consolidate resources, and then they consolidate power, and then they start buying things, and then it, actually, then it eventually becomes a quasi-monopoly. Facebook, now Meta, owns like Instagram and YouTube and, you know, um, right. this is a way of empowering average persons. They think that more wealth is not going to be redistributed, but it's going to be earned in a more egalitarian type of way. And I, I think you you really, uh, we didn't touch on this earlier, but just the, the notion of something that is decentralized like Web3 or like we've discussed Bitcoin, not controlled by an individual, but open to the public has great value. And I think it's something maybe even as Catholics or even just as citizens of the United States, we're not always either comfortable or have a great understanding of. Would you agree? Yeah, I would agree. And, and as Catholics, um, and we, we celebrate that God himself is one. God right. himself gives us a church that is one and authoritative and the hierarchy right. on earth is rooted in the hierarchy in heaven. Uh, this is why we Catholics in a certain sense would, would look at the monarchy and, and, and not be convinced that that is a bad thing in its essence. Because, you know, again, all the leadership here on earth ultimately comes from leadership in heaven and, and a benevolent monarchy could be a, a wonderful thing. I think we kind of worship democracy. And, but I, I think that there are interesting discussions about how a proper authority can be a wonderful mm-hmm. thing. So, so I would say uh, this idea of decentralization In Catholicism, Jim, you know this, Catholicism is both and versus either or. And so as Catholics, I would say that we like centralization and we like decentralization. And the church kind of has this built into her theology. For example, you know, the church is a hierarchical organization. Peter, the successor of Peter, is Peter. He is the authority. But the church has this idea of subsidiarity that it really wants everything lived out at the local level. So it's this mix of centralization and decentralization. Mm. Um, It really wants to uh, have at the parish level, the authority to be lived out and, 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 uh, you know, have its own self-possession and self-determination. So the short answer is Catholicism 
is both end and uh, we would be comfortable with the de decentralization and centralization. That's a beautiful explanation, Matt. I hadn't really ever thought of it that way. That's that's wonderful. You know, as, as we kind of come to a close here, tell us a little bit about how do you see cryptocurrency? And, and I want to talk a little bit about your conference. How do you see that really impacting our church, kind of going back to the beginning of our conversation? And why would someone be interested to come and learn a little bit more about it at your conference next month? Yes. Anytime there's a new technological sea change, the church should be there for at least two reasons. One, mm -hmm. and therefore individual lay Catholics should be there. Yep. One, I call it offensive. Two, I call it defensive. Offensive, if there's something powerful here, like the internet itself or the radio 120 years ago, the church needs to be there and it needs to look and discern and explore as to whether this is good or can be used for good. And if it can, it needs to be used for good. The defense is that if something can be used for evil, the church needs to be there to mitigate its misuses. The church needs to be a voice at every table because the Lord of the universe, Jesus claims all aspects of the world as his own. Therefore, his body, the church, should be there to be that voice of, of reason, sanity, clarity, and more. Uh, I, I think those are two reasons why people should be there. Thirdly, the average lay Catholic, sure, for their own family fulfillment and thriving and, and uh, flourishing, if there is something here, whether it's economic investment or simply being able to keep up with technologies for them to be conversant in the world, we should know about these things. Mm -hmm. In terms of what the net takeaways are from the conference, uh, Jim, I'm particularly excited about what we're doing towards the end of the second day. At the end of the second day, we're going to stop all conferences and we're going to encourage people to go into five different strategy sessions. And each of the strategy sessions will have a different question. One of them will be, how can the church use blockchain? Another will be, how can the church use cryptocurrency? How can the church use non-fungible tokens? Jim, I'm betting that we're going to come away from this conference. By the way, we're going to create white papers on all five of those questions. And we want to release it within about two months of the conference for free for the church. I'm betting that we're going to come away with somewhere between 50 and 75 practical use cases how it. the church, how the church can can use these things. I've already been on the receiving phone calls within the past even two weeks from maybe three people where five ideas, one guy had three ideas alone, five ideas were uh, presented to me. One person presented the idea of locking down the teachings of the faith in an immutable way on a blockchain. So wow. it's all it's all known. This is what the church teaches. This is, I mean, that was a clever idea. Another yeah. guy uh, proposed a very clever idea about, uh, you know, maybe, maybe using Bitcoin miners to heat our parishes and simultaneously help the financial viability of the parishes. I think we're going to come away with 50 to 75 very clever ideas. We're going to put them out there. We're going to open the doors. Uh, this is not proprietary to me or anyone. It's for everyone. I just believe that the conference is going to unearth this. Well, I'm, I'm very excited to be a part of it, and I can't wait to see what comes out of it. Matt, tell us a little bit about how folks can register. Sure. People can go to catholiccryptoconference.com. Registrations mm -hmm. are coming in very well, uh, thanks be to God. We, we have people from all across the country. We have people from around the world. So, Jim, we're solving that by doing a live stream. Uh, you know, as you're watching the conference, it's being live streamed online. Like 80 to 90% of the talks will be live streamed. Great. Uh, the other 10% will be seen like a day later. 
but all the main stage, all the, the primary talks will be uh, live streamed about 80 to 90%. We'll have three different viewing rooms online, but we would love people to come out, especially if you're in the Delaware Valley area, come out in person. There's nothing like being in person at a conference where you get to visit the booths. You get to learn and meet people and ask them how they do things, how they set up a, a personal wallet or how they get online and begin to make a purchase if they want to move in that direction. So there's nothing like being in person. It's going to be a great event. 30 speakers, 42 uh, seminars, uh, four different tracks at different times, and two great sit-down meals. It's really going to be a great event. And we think the price is uh, very manageable. Absolutely. We'll make sure we put links in the show notes of this episode so people can be directed over to the site and, and register. And and Matt, thank you for all you're doing for the church. Thank you all for all you have done for the church over the last 30 years to make our faith more available to us through through media, through print. Uh, through the variety of ways that you've done it. And, and thank you for helping to kind of crack open this this new technology and make it more accessible to Catholics and 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 put us right in the center of it. So greatly appreciated. Uh, you're welcome. I'm the one who's blessed, Jim. So, so thanks again for being on Advancing Our Church today. Very good. Thanks, Jim. God bless. I want to thank Matt for joining us on our show today. What a great conversation. I learned so much from Matt today. I hope that you did too. I'm going to leave links to Matt in our show notes and the Catholic Crypto Conference again, which will be held on November the 17th and 18th at the Valley Forge Sheraton here in my home state of Pennsylvania. I hope to see you there. Matt, once again, thank you for joining us and thank you for all you do to advance our church. Well, that's our show this week. Special thanks to Pottery Studios for another great show. And if you'd like to help our show, please leave us a rating wherever you downloaded this podcast. And if this is your first time listening to Advancing Our Church, I hope you'll stick around and subscribe. You can find us on all places where you download your favorite podcasts. You can find us on YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. And for more information about our show, please visit us at advancingourchurch.com. Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, and we are a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for more than two decades. For more information, please visit us at changingourworld.com. Well, that's it for me, everybody. Once again, it was great seeing everybody last week in Anaheim at the International Catholic Stewardship Conference. Great to be with all of you. Hope you all have a great week. Please consider registering for the Catholic Crypto Conference. I hope to see you there. Take care and God bless.